Greetings. My name is John Duvall. Welcome to another Truth Factor discussion. We are so sorry for the delay. We've been having some technical difficulties. I am from home this morning and we're not able to do the study the fancy way we've been doing it. So this is the old school hangouts on air and it's a simpler way of dealing with it. Downside is we're not able to stream to Facebook uh, using this method. So we did share on our Facebook page the viewing link. Um, hopefully you are watching this either on our YouTube page, uh, which is uh, Truth Factor YouTube.com slash Truth Factor Live, or through um, our website, which is live.truthfactor.com. So we're going to jump right into the study because we're taking uh, too much extra time this morning. Mike, uh, you have the study this morning. You're going to be look, leading us through Acts chapter 10, I believe. Correct. Correct. We welcome those that are viewing, and we'll go right to chapter 10. This is when Cornelius, a Gentile, a centurion, eventually be taught the gospel of Christ and obey it. But there are several factors within this chapter that I believe we can factor into our life. And so, John, I've got you on the list to read first, please, down through verse 8, and then we'll begin our discussion. All right. Tell me again where you want me to start. Verse 1 through verse 8, please. All right. Well, looky there. We're not in Ephesians, are we? Not hardly. <laughs> All right. Give me just a second, Mike. I thought I had it brought up properly. Let's see. I did have it brought up. All right. Here we go. Acts chapter 10, 1 through what verse? I'm real slow today. Verse 8. Verse 8. Okay. Uh, let's see if this is going to share properly, and it looks like it is. All right, so here we go with the reading. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. When he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for memorial before God. Now, send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the seats. He will tell you what you must do. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things, sorry, all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Thank you, John. In the chat room, we'll place this question. And I don't know uh, with the with the new uh, viewing today whether this is all going to work, but we'll put uh, this question to the chat room at least. How does the Lord gain the attention of souls in need of the gospel? In, in today's world, why are not visions as happened to Cornelius? Why are they not used? Now, with that introduction, uh, John, I'm going to ask you to please tell us the occupation, character, and demeanor of Cornelius. Uh, was he a religious man, and was he religious enough uh, to have avoided the need of the gospel? Well. Mike, it does appear that he was a religious man, that there that he did have a belief in God. Um, the fact that it says that your prayers and your alms have been heard, 
uh, suggest a strong belief in God. And as a result, uh, him making petitions of the Lord. We don't know exactly what, but prayers, alms and prayers would suggest a very religious minded individual. Mm-hmm. But he still needed the gospel, correct? You know, he, he did. Um, it's one of those cases where, you know, we're now after the day of Pentecost. So the law of Moses had been nailed to the cross. And what he needed to hear was the same thing that Paul heard, same thing that Ananias taught Paul, same thing that uh, Philip taught the eunuch. The man Cornelius needed to hear the same same thing. I appreciate that. Paul, we'll go to you. Could you please describe the vision that Cornelius received, what it meant, and, and especially what's meant by this statement, thy prayers and thine arms are come up for a memorial before you asked me to describe uh, what was it that Cornelius received? Describe his vision and uh, that came to him about that ninth hour and the meaning of this phrase, thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Does this mean that God hears sinners' prayers? Uh, that's an interesting question, Mike, uh, as you think about that. Uh, certainly uh, he was aware, God was aware that Cornelius was praying. Uh, and so uh, I realized uh, we could look at some verses that talk about uh, God doesn't hear those sinners' prayer. I think if we would take those things in context, and, and this may be a matter of some discussion for our group here, but as we would take uh, those matters uh, under consideration, we might consider that uh, God doesn't have a responsibility to answer uh, someone's prayer who is not uh, his child. It'd be like if uh, I'm out in the store and someone's uh, some little child's crying out to me, hey, uh, would you buy me a, a new toy? Uh, you know, I don't owe that child, you know, a, a response to that. My own child, I need to need to respect that. Uh, but uh, to say that God doesn't even hear it, uh, doesn't he, isn't even aware that he's praying would seem to be counter to what we find here. Because what we see is that God was aware that Cornelius was praying and, in fact, uh, arranged a meeting. And I think that's what the vision is about. Uh, he says he saw an angel of God clearly in a vision. And so God sent a messenger to Cornelius to arrange a meeting between a gospel preacher, uh, an apostle of the Lord, and the one who needed to hear the gospel. And in his divine providence, he makes sure that this very good man who uh, is already doing some very good things can hear the things that he needs to hear. Now, I noticed something about this is that, and it's the same thing I noticed about Saul. Uh, and that is that they were both praying men already. And if they were already praying. They were already praying men. Uh, there was still something they needed to do to be saved, to be forgiven, uh, to have what God wanted them to have beyond offering up a prayer. Very well put, Paul. Appreciate that. Right. Brian, would you please then describe uh, what Cornelius is to do? and what he eventually did in response to the angel's message of Cornelius. Thanks, Mike. So uh, the question here is, what did he do? He was told to send for Peter, um, which is kind of interesting because he's not a local person that he's sending for. He's he's told to go send for somebody who's uh, also staying at the house of a tanner. We mentioned in our last study that that too was mm -hmm. something unusual. So he's told to send for Peter and have Peter brought to him to tell him the things that he must do. In chapter 11, verse 14, it clarifies this to say, to tell him the things he must do to be saved. 
So that, uh, again, speaks back to his condition and his need. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate that. And and we, we do have a question here. Why didn't the angel just go ahead and tell Cornelius? I believe there's an obvious answer to that. When Paul wrote to the church at, at uh, Corinth, he told them that this treasure is in earthen vessels. Uh, before the Lord left the earth, he gave the charge to his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that the apostles were to, to observe. And so the preaching of the gospel was given to the responsibility of human beings, not angels. And uh, so if Cornelius was earnest in his request to God, and we believe that he was, then he most certainly would have send to Joppa. Now, if we're able, let's go back to the chat room just for a minute. And has anyone responded to uh, how how might the Lord gain our attention today? It, it doesn't appear so. It looks like nobody okay. got back with that. All right. Let, let's just keep on going. And if that comes up, we'll come back to that. But one of the truth factors that we might add just here the fact that God is not sending any more visions to anyone, he has, in fact, given us the gospel of Christ. And in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, the Bible tells us that we're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For this is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We simply don't need anything other than God's word, the, the written word, the Bible, and we need to read it, learn it, and obey it. And as Christians, that's our job to circulate that message. Brandon, uh, Brandon I'm down to you now. Uh, read verses 9 through 18, and I'll be asking you the first question in this section. No problem, Mike. And again, I'll be reading the New American Standard. Uh, <clears throat> on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop, housetop about the sixth hour to pray. But he became hungry and was desiring to eat. But, that, but while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open up, and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there was in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, uh, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in his mind as to what this vision, uh, the vision which he had seen might be, Behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. Uh, thank you for that, Brendan. In the chat room, let's add another question first. And then, Brendan, I'm coming right back to you. Are gospel preachers today permitted to be selective regarding those souls to whom they wish to share the gospel? Why or why not? And that, that becomes an interesting question as much as there are some preachers that uh, feel that there are only certain ones entitled to hear this message from God. So we'll see what the chat room respondents might say to that. Brendan, 
back to you. What was Peter doing about the sixth hour and why? And would that be a routine you'd recommend for us preachers today? Well, he was praying and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, and definitely, I, I, to me at least, there's no obvious reason in the text of why specifically he was praying other than the fact that Christians need to pray. Um, I heard one time, I really like this quote, if you're not praying, you're dying as a Christian. Um, and so as far as the habit goes of what we should be doing, absolutely. Um, I've been very impressed with what I've heard of some brethren in the Philippines and their preacher training programs that they spend an hour in prayer each morning before they begin the day. Um, yes. It's definitely a, a habit we all need to be in. And we, and it's one of my weak points. I, I try to pray as much as I can, but oftentimes it still feels like it's not enough. Um, so. I appreciate that. And you bring up the Philippines. Uh, there's a preacher acquaintance of mine by the name of Rudy Gumpad that preaches in the Philippines quite a bit. And he was telling me that in his preacher training classes, he has those men praying for a solid hour after they eat their, their noontime meal. I call that dinner being a country boy and suppers later on. But uh, he said that it's interesting to watch those men. At the first, there's some of them that struggle to get into maybe five minutes. They think they're done. And then when you think that you can name your brethren one by one, and as the song says, count your blessings one by one, hmm. that there are so many things we can pray for. I, I appreciate your answer very much, Brendan. Shelton, let's come to you now, and I'm going to ask you to describe the vision that came to Peter. And what's so strange about this vision? Well, we know, as we, as he said, that uh, that he was praying. But then it says he saw the heaven opened up like an object. Of course, we read in verse 11. Uh, like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, but down on the earth. Uh, the animals on the earth, the wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And then the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But, of course, Peter doesn't feel comfortable with this. Um, you know, he says, uh, no, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. You know, I, I've, I've kept the law the way I'm supposed to. But then it says that what God has made clean, he says, uh, or, or what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And it was done three times, then taken up into heaven. What was, uh, what was so unclean about these animals? By what law would they have been unclean? Well, by the old law, they were deemed that, uh, that the Christian wouldn't eat these things. That the, the, under the Jewish law, these animals were, were not to be eaten. So under the New Testament, then this was this would have been changed. Right. And, uh, I, I appreciate that. Peter was a very strict man. And being a Jew, uh, would you suggest that it was very difficult for him to accept the changes that become quite obvious, even within the New Testament? There, there were some things very difficult for him to accept. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. And, and we see this issue once more in Scripture. I, I wish I remembered the passage off the top of my head. Hopefully one of you might uh, be able to give a book, chapter, verse for it. But when it talks about what's going into the mouth, not being what defiles a man anymore, but therefore what comes out of the mouth is what now defiles us as these New Testament, uh, this New Testament covenant that the Lord is making with them. That's very correct. Jesus made that statement. Mm -hmm. So that we might factor into this uh, part of our study that two things, I guess. One is that prayer without ceasing is quite vital to us. 
It's not something we can discard for any matter or for any purpose. Second, we need to understand that what uh, what God has, has changed, we can't change back to anything. I'm reminded of, of Paul writing to Timothy and telling him that there would be a time that, that people would say that there were certain meats that they'd have to abstain from and even marriages and such. But when God has changed that law and made it quite right for us to see that meats especially, that there's nothing unclean of itself, but it can be received with thanksgiving. While it may not be extremely appetizing to some of us, I suppose that a buzzard well cooked could be edible. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's maybe not something real enticing. But by the same token, there, there were reasons under the old law why these were unclean animals. And under the new law, those things aren't, aren't, uh, aren't to be forbidden at all. So, uh, again, John, I'm going to ask, is there anything yet in the chat room? If not, we'll move on ahead. No, I'm not seeing anything yet. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, there is. There is. Oh, there is. Yeah, we have a we have a response from Gregor to our chat question. Okay. Oh, which chat room? The the face of uh, the truth. I'm on uh, YouTube. Sorry. YouTube. Okay. All right. Well, go ahead, Brian. Okay. So Gregor Hinckley says uh, in response to our question: Are gospel pe preachers today permitted to be selective regarding those souls to whom they wish to share the gospel? Why or why not? Gregor Hinckley. God's plan was always to save the whole world, at least those that accept him. Our creator knows that few will find his way, but we need to give all the opportunity. Our job is to cast knowledge. Excellently done. I appreciate that, Gregor. Uh, it, it's astounding to me. The, the older I get, the, the more astounding it seems. There's no individual that will meet in any place at any time but what that individual has a soul. And the least that we could do for that soul is to give them the knowledge of what that soul needs to do to be saved. That's not conversation that many people begin with. And so I'd ask again, why or why not? Because there isn't anything more vital in all of existence to share than the gospel of Christ. We're willing to talk about the weather, the sports, uh, farming, what have you. But there isn't anything at all more vital than the gospel of Christ. That's, that's something we need to share, uh, even with the individual sack and your groceries. Well, okay. Uh, go ahead. Uh, going back to the parable of just for a minute, it's interesting that there's two types of mindsets. There might be more, but really two types of mindsets. There's the, there's the sower mindset when it comes to sharing the gospel, which is the biblical mindset. We need to be scattering seed wherever we can, whenever we can. Correct. Of adopt this idea of, of the, the the farmer mindset that in order for me to actually teach people, I need to prepare the soil and I make sure it's good soil and I spend all this time that you may never end up getting to plant the seed. Uh, and another thing with the parable of sower too, seventy five percent of that that seed that was sown unfruitful. That's very correct. And so for for an individual to say, well, I. I this group of people, not but not not that group of people. It's unbiblical. And you're you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I I preached that parable to sower quite frequently, and having grown up out in the country where planning was was uh, that was a, that was your life's money. Uh, I can remember many a time Grandpa sending me out in the wheat field gathering up rocks and stones and 
such and putting them in piles over at the side of the field and uh, and getting that field ready to plant. And yet every time we'd go through it, we'd find areas that we'd walked on, where areas that had thistles in it, areas that had rocks in it. The only place that's going to grow ground is fertile ground. But that parable says, don't you worry about the ground, you worry about the seed. Go plant the seed. And so that's that's what our job is. That's what our job is. Thomas, we're coming to you finally, and I didn't mean to meet you last. It just, you're this is where you fell in the line. Would you please read for us verses 19 through 22, and then I'm going to ask you uh, to tell us about Peter and how he had obvious concerns with this about going and don't doubt what you're, what you're doing. Uh, I want you to talk about his fears and if he was justified in those fears. So if you would please read 19 through 22 here. And yeah. talk. Oh, okay, and but before we do that, uh, we have a, a comment in our uh, True Factor Live page. Okay. From Eric. I think it's Eric Reynolds. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he used to be on the program, but he's uh, uh, he, he's been busy on Wednesdays doing some classes, but he's joined us today. Uh, Good. Anyways, he made an observation about what we just got done talking about. It's interesting to note that the Lord gave Peter this same vision three times. And he said that reminds me of Samuel being called three times or Peter being asked if he loved the Lord Jesus three times. You know, we often need to hear something several times in order to grasp it. Thankfully, mm -hmm. the Lord is patient with us. So. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, so, good so, point. Yeah, so he made that observation. Now, now, getting back to our text in uh, verses 19 through 23 of Acts 10, we read there in that text, it says, uh, while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are to you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to them who had been sent uh, to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason are you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Okay, uh, looking at this text, we find here that Peter sees the vision and he's wondering what it's about, and um, uh, and, and which is why you find here, uh, uh, these types of concerns that are taking place, being the devout the devout Jew that Peter is, and and obviously uh, following the uh, all those, obviously following the dietary laws. Uh, of the old law and so on. But anyways, it becomes interesting uh, when he is actually told by the Spirit that this vision or that the three men are seeking him and then to go, uh, go with them. I, I love the way it says in verse number 20, doubting nothing for I have sent them. And uh, uh, what I kind of find interesting in that, in, in, in that whole section is uh I personally think Peter is starting to get what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I think when you tie this section together here, and uh, he goes down and he and he meets the, these people from Cornelius, and Cornelius is introduced. Obviously, he knows that Cornelius is a Gentile and so on. And I think that Peter is putting all the facts together 
And he's kind of figuring, okay, God wants me to go to the Gentiles. And uh, that's why, uh, uh, well, you, you read, in, read in the next verse, he's actually going to take some people with him uh, uh, because he realizes that. So, so that's the situation you find with, with Peter. Uh, and he's told, don't doubt anything. Uh, this is from God. That's the obvious point. Now, uh, now, what was his fear and, and why was he having a fear? Well, well, he was a Jew. And up to this point, his understanding was that it was Jews that were to receive the truth. And so he was just wondering about what was going to take place above and beyond that, exactly what fears uh, were involved. I, I, I can't definitively say we know. We know that there were many Jews who, when the Gentiles were accepted, were antagonistic. Uh, Peter was hypocritical sometimes in dealing with that. Uh, so, I mean, uh, so, so he has concerns from that, that standpoint. And, and when you ask the question, uh, are we justified in those types of fears? And the answer I would give to that is, uh, well, having the fear itself, you may not have a whole lot of control over that, but do you have control how you deal with that fear? And, and the other thing is, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, as Jesus himself taught, do not cast your pearl before swine. I don't think there's a problem with being apprehensive when you're, when you're presented something that is strange or, 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 or I, I, you know, I don't think we ought to jump at the first, uh, you know, the first sight of something that's different. You know, I, I think of right. Ephesians 4. I think of Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. You know, teachers were given to equip the saints so they wouldn't be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Mm -hmm. You know, you hear something new. Uh, don't just miss it because it's new, but don't just accept it because it sounds that's, you know, that's, that's a good point, Thomas. Yeah, exactly. We preachers and, and all members of the church, we're going to encounter dozens of types of people as we go through this world. And personalities have a, have a way of conflicting once in a while. It did in the Lord's time. It's going. That's just going to be the way it is throughout time, that personalities are different, cultures are different, uh, levels of understanding are different. Uh, by the same token, the truth factor point that I would put here is that there is absolutely no one without a need of the gospel. Exactly. And Peter had to come to grips with that fact. He has to go doubting nothing. He's going to have to take the gospel with him to Cornelius, and that within itself is, is a difficult task for a Jew to go to a Gentile's home. So I've asked, uh, I've asked another chat room question here. Though a just man, one that feared God, one with a good report among those that were Jews, what did Cornelius lack? Now, I think Thomas has already answered that for us and done a good job with it. He lacked the gospel of Christ. Yeah. And the only way for him to get that is for someone like Peter, and Peter's the one here charged with that responsibility, to take that gospel to the house of Cornelius. Now, John, we're, we're back to you. Oh, my, unless, unless there are, go ahead, Thomas. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you know, j j just a real quick comment dealing with that. You know, when you talk about 
uh, you know, somebody that's different than you. One of the things that I've learned, and we will see this as we go through this, is in order for there to be a receptive conversation, it requires both sides to have a proper attitude. Absolutely. And, and I think that's something that we've got a problem with in our society. And, and, and I think the way that even we as brethren sometimes treat each other, you know, we see it on Facebook, you mm-hmm. know, it's pretty strong. Uh, com or social media, you see these strong comments by by brethren, somebody, and and they expect everybody to fall in line with you, hook, line, and sinker, and and if you don't, they're just so amazed that 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 you don't just fall in line with what they think you ought to do. It's the kind of like the old saying, "Don't uh, my mind's made up. Don't confuse me with questions." Yeah, yeah, or facts, <laughs> or facts. That's right. Well, yeah. I, I want to go back. Go ahead. If I could for just a second, I want to go back to Tom's comment about fear. That was such a great comment, Tom. You know, I was actually thinking a little differently. I was thinking about Peter's fear of his own brethren. Um, Acts chapter 11 is going to reveal that they are not at all pleased about his decision. Oh, yeah. And I can see that that, that actually is, is one of the things that seems to affect Peter's life often. You consider Peter's fear when he denies Jesus because he's being... Uh, you know, because the other Jews are being critical in him in that moment. Or what we're told in Galatians chapter 2 about him not wanting to to be distinctive or take a stand whenever the debate over the Judaizing teachers arises, that both of those are instances that Peter sometimes seems far more afraid of his own brethren than he does the, the, con- the dangers and consequences of worldly preaching. I mean, he's the guy that jumped out with a sword, but other men with swords were approached. He wasn't afraid of a fight. But he does seem to be afraid of his own brethren sometimes. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. I, I think sometimes that, that yeah. is something that I struggle with, too, to, you know, well, you know, what, what might my other brethren say if I, you know, if I take this stand or if I say this thing? And so I, I think sometimes, too, Acts 11 bears out that some of that fear of his own brethren might have been justified. Right. Brian, I appreciate that. I, I very yeah. much do. We preachers, especially those of us that that's all we do is make our living preaching. We've got to be very careful with that, that we don't avoid some issues because we don't want to make the home congregation upset at us. And by the same token, we, we well, I guess better said, we don't become a puppet. We don't dare become a puppet of the popular desires, the popular views. We've got to be exactly like Paul said and prove all things, hold fast that which is good. If it doesn't set well with the receivers, then let them argue with God, not with us. And I, I, I agree. I, I think Peter was scared for himself in a lot of ways. So I, I appreciate those comments. Well, John, let's come back to you now and, and get you more involved and ask you to read verse 23 to 20, uh, 23 to 33. And this may bring up uh, quite a few discussions as we go through this. So if you would, please go ahead. 23 to 33. Alrighty, I will do that. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. 
Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. At the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. Hey, guys, um, keep in mind, our private discussion is popping up on the screen over my Bible. <laughs> okay. Just got to keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. So four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the night, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he'll speak to you. So I send you immediately and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded to you, commanded you by God. Now, um, I want to apologize for just a second. In the temporary setup I have at the house, I'm having to do a screen share for my laptop over here, and it's sharing from the actual display, not the program. And so any extra notifications that I get on my laptop, you at home see. So um, that's why you've seen those things pop up there. Good night. All right. Let's put another question in the chat room. And, John, you be sure, you and Brian, be sure to let us know when there's comments there. But this question is, is to me, very vital. Is there any valid reason to avoid hearing the gospel in today's world? Here's Cornelius that has been now given this vision to send for Peter. He's obedient to that vision. And, John, uh, while we're here with you, let me ask. When Peter and his fellows arrived at Cornelius' house, how were they greeted? And and what was Peter's response? And why is it we can't permit that greeting today? Say, say that again, Mike. Okay. When, die, Peter, just when Peter and his fellows arrived at Cornelius' house, right. how were they greeted? And how is it that we can't permit that type of greeting today? Cornelius meets somebody's house, and what, what does Cornelius do to Peter? Well, well, look at verse 25. Yeah. Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Now, why wouldn't that be a proper greeting for us to receive today as we go to people's house to teach them the gospel? Okay, let me, let me tell you how I was hearing the question. There was something that was done then that was acceptable that's not acceptable today. Okay. But that's that's your point. (laughs) Um, No, that would not be acceptable. Um, If we were to go into someone's house and they were to bow down before us and uh, worship us, we should do like Peter did and tell them to stand up, get up off their feet. Yeah. I wondered wondered why the pause. And you're exactly right. There, There was a time in those days where it was respectful to give homage to your guests. Yeah, and, yeah. and many of them, they, they would wash their feet when they entered the door like this and, yeah. and greet them with extreme hospitality. But this is a homage that Peter refused. Yeah. And he did it because he was not whom? He was not God. He was not God. That's exactly right. 
And I'm reminded when we read and study in the book of Revelation, which we just finished that here at Orleans, there were twice that an angel appeared to John as he was writing in Revelation. And John bowed before the angel, and both times the angel said, Stand up, I'm your fellow servant. Well, if we can't worship angels and we can't worship our fellow man, then we'd best be worshiping God because that is the supreme of all things. So yes. I, I appreciate that. Uh, we, we can't lift ourselves up. We're not gurus of anything. Uh, I like the definition that a little boy gave my dad years ago when dad asked a children's class, what is the definition of a preacher? And the little boy raised his hand and he said he's a loudmouth church member. I think that's probably the best definition I've ever heard. And I was not that little boy. Yeah. All right, Paul, let's come back to you now. When uh, when Peter comes to the house of Cornelius, he says at verse 28, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come in uh, to one of another nation. What law did Peter break here? Uh, I was trying to think about uh, think about that as you were asking that question, Mike. And uh, I was trying to think about in the Old Testament where they would be forbidden to uh, to do that. I know that uh, the woman at the well, when Jesus is there, you know, she has a similar question. You know, mm -hmm. why would why would he have anything to do with him uh, if if the any violation there would have been part of those clean and unclean laws of the Old Testament that clearly the Lord has revealed. Uh, not to call something unclean that he's called clean. Would you agree or disagree that this was more of a national custom than it was a law given from God? Because Jesus himself associated with Gentiles and Samaritans uh, and those that were not pure blood Israel. Yeah, I was thinking about that. And certainly we know that in Bible times, that by the time uh, the New Testament is written, that many of the Jewish laws were actually just the traditions that they had passed down. It was the tradition of the fathers that had been passed down. And Jesus is very critical of laying those alongside and making, making them equal with the word of God. And I was trying to think, and I'd be interested to hear if there's any other thought from, from this panel, but uh, trying to think if there was any kind of restriction that they, they couldn't even uh, communicate with someone who happened to be someone who is a um, Gentile, uh, and we realize that now the gospel has come, and that wouldn't apply. But I'm not sure that that even the supposition they're making is an accurate one. Right. Well, well, well you know, uh, kind of one thing that comes to my mind with this is, you know, and I, I'm reading a passage. We're not going to read it all, but looking at it. But Deuteronomy chapter seven of several verses, where the Lord gives instructions when you go into the land. Uh, cast out these nations and so on and don't associate with them don't associate with their gods lest you adapt to their religious practices i i kind of think what we're dealing with here in the case of cornelius is the typical pharisaical what is it the talmud response to something like that they took it to its extreme and they said you know what if we just have nothing to do with the gentiles whatsoever if if we don't become friends with them at all and just you know uh, uh treat treat them like dogs which is what they would call them and so on you know then we don't have to worry about being entrapped by their religion 
you know, I, I mean, just look at the history of Israel. You know, there was a lot of problems with the Jewish leaders in the first century. But the one thing that wasn't a problem is they were not idolaters. They, they had learned their lesson from history that you have nothing to do with foreign gods. And, and remember, they were still living in a pagan time. Yes, sir. Where there were all kinds of gods around them. So, so, so I, I, I kind of see that their response was, it's like a lot of the laws they created, good intentions, but carried too far. Brian, uh, while, while we're with this, what's Cornelius' answer to Peter? And uh, what kind of an audience did, did Peter receive from the house of Cornelius? Uh, so, Mike, I was thinking about your question there, and I appreciate you kind of sharing those with us ahead of time for us to think about. Uh, so, so Peter asked him, why did you send for me? And so Cornelius' answer is, well, let me, he recounts the story. The angel came. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, then it, at verse 33, he says, we're all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I, and I'm not entirely sure, you know, to think about the idea of the different audience, other than one of the things that strikes me is that Cornelius is a man of authority and power. And he is asking a local fisherman who lives with a tanner to tell him what he needs to do. And I just can't maybe we just can't appreciate just how. Uh, upside down, that kind of image would be to that world. You know, it'd be like, you know, the president calls somebody who might be a janitor and says, okay, I need you to tell me what I need to do with my foreign policy, you know, that it really was an upside down image to think about. Well, you brought it up last week, and it's a very interesting point. Here's a Galilean, Peter, fisherman, staying in the house of a tanner who by the decree of the law of Moses would have made that an unclean place for Peter to have stayed. Tanners were the butchers, the, the, uh, the, the uh, hide skinners, if you will, the, uh, the, the, the tanners of hides, which if you've ever been around that, there's just not much uh, an environment that smells worse than a tanner's environment. But yet here's Peter doing that. And that's precisely who's Cornelius is told to go find bring him into his home. And now you talk about Peter saying it's an unlawful thing for me to be here. Well, how unclean was that for the Gentile? And yet there wasn't anything forbidden in this, but what Cornelius with his authority says to his household, we're going to stay here and we're all going to hear things that are commanded of God. And we're going to hear it from this man from Joppa. I, I think that's an incredible, uh, uh, an incredible ordeal. Nowadays, we try to to get over preaching to empty seats, and I kind of envision this: a house full of very interested and devout people wanting to know the truth. And I, I just love that part of the story. Well, let's let's go back, John. Is there anybody been responding to the chat room questions? Let me see, Mike. I haven't noticed any yet. Um, <clears throat> We do have some on YouTube. Okay. One person on the Truth Factor page um, made the point that I never thought about the tanner being an unclean job. Thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, we do have a comment on, uh, on YouTube as well in answer to our question. The question was, is there any valid reason to avoid hearing the gospel in today's world? 
And Gregor Hinckley gave us a, a answer. He said, you qualified with valid. Today, choice is all that matters. So if you want to be condemned, yes, you can choose to be condemned. But they can only choose if they know of the consequences. I appreciate that. That's exactly right. God's given us choice. And uh, but yet as, as one who has obeyed the gospel, and I'm sure all of us on the panel would agree to this, that's the difference between buying a Rolls Royce and a used rusty Volkswagen Bug. You know, there's no choice to that. To choose God is to choose eternal life. And while that's not, it, it it's not just merely the choice. You have to be obedient to that choice, obviously. Token to refuse it is just, there's no, there, there, that's just a mindless choice to my understanding. That, there's just no point to that. So let's factor this in, that it is without respect of persons. To teach and to preach the gospel to every human being we encounter. Further, every human being should be eager to hear all these things that are commanded of God. And if they're not eager to hear it, then they're like God said through Isaiah, they've stopped up their ears, they've hardened their heart, they've blinded their eyes. And still take away that blindness, that deafness, and that hard heart and make it obedient to God if these people will simply open their hearts, eyes, and ears, learn and obey the gospel of Christ. Well, Brendan, let's come back to you now, and I, I'm hopeful that we have enough time. John, you're kind of the governor on that. I don't know how much time. we got about four minutes, and I don't know whether we can get down uh, through the next 14 or 15 verses or not. What do you think? Well, you're talking about starting at verse 34. Yes, sir. You know what? Um, I don't know. What, what's the consensus, guys? What do y'all think? Um, based on the fact we started pretty late, I'd hate to um, carry us. If we started on time, we probably could have finished it. Up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the next question is, do you think there's enough material for a normal study next Wednesday in the remainder of the text? I think the subject of the Holy Spirit coming on Cornelius yeah. is probably something we'll want to spend a couple of minutes talking about yeah. and probably worth it for us to talk about. There's a lot of parallels between what happens here in Acts 2 and what happens there. So, Okay. Mm-hmm. I kind of I agree. I agree with that. Okay. Well, I, I tried to hustle this as quickly as I could, but let's, let's nail it down here, and then I'll flip it back to John, and he can close us out for the hour. I, I want our listeners uh, to fully understand there is absolutely not a soul alive, but what that soul does need the gospel of Christ. Paul told the church at Corinth that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So if souls are lost because they've never been exposed to the gospel of Christ, I've always wondered what God would do with those that have the gospel of Christ and do the hiding. That'd make us lost too, wouldn't it? And so I would beseech every single Christian to find at least one other soul, whether it be in your family, next door neighbor, someone at work, someone at school, someone you encounter day by day, find at least one to whom you can share the gospel of Christ and do for them as Peter did for Cornelius and bring them to obedience of the saving gospel of Jesus. John, I'll turn it back to you. 
All right, Mike, I appreciate it. And um, my little buddy here appreciates the good job you did today on leading us through the discussion. Uh, again, I apologize for us starting late. Um, I decided to, to work from home today. Uh, I've got, we're down to one car. Um, had a bolt break um, that holds the uh, tensioner mount. Like I said, we're down to one car today. And as a result, uh, we did things a little bit differently. And so you've seen the move. He was not moving by himself during the study. I must confess that I moved him around a few times. So, Brian, it's it's okay about that. Um, <laughs> he was a little bit worried about it earlier, and, and so I just wanted him to know. All right. Thank you so much for having patience with us today. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm real sorry we started late. We'll pick up here with verse 34 next week, and hopefully everything will be back to normal with the way we broadcast, and we'll be putting it to Facebook. I'll also plan to upload this video to Facebook for those who may be following us there as well. All righty. Thank you so much for joining us for our study today. We'll plan to continue this next Wednesday at 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time. That's noon in the Eastern Time Zone. 9 a.m. Pacific Time. And 10 a.m. Mountain Time. Anything, Shelton? Not today. I'm kind of running out of cool places. All right. That's right here at live.truthfactor.com. Have a wonderful week.